Hello and welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Reed. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by none other than Aquarium Co-op. Now, you're probably thinking I'm going to plug one of the hundreds of quality products that Aquarium Co-op carries during this promo. But no, no, my friends, I'm going to promote community. So now, what exactly is Randy talking about? Well, if you didn't know, Aquarium Co-op has a new forum out called CARE which stands for Community Aquarists Respect Each Other. The whole goal is to create an environment where fish nerds can come together and talk about just that, fish nerdy stuff in all its glory. Leave the fighting and name calling to other social media platforms. This is an old school forum with new school features where everyone is encouraged to share their Aquarist experiences and adventures. I've been having a great time on the forum so far, sharing updates and projects in my fish room posting up aquarium co-op related warehouse photos and seeing some amazing tanks and projects being carried out by other forum members. So come on over to forum.aquariumcoop.com and create an account and jump in on the action. If you missed the website address, it was forum.aquariumcoop.com and I'll leave a link in the show notes. Now on to the interview. Today's date is Friday, October 16th, 2020. My guest today is Bob Steenfot. Bob is the owner of Steenfodaquatics.com, an online site for fish, shrimp, and snails. He's also the creator behind the Steenfod Aquatics YouTube channel. Bob has a lot of experience breeding fish for the Greater Seattle Aquarium Society's Breeder Award Program and propagating plants for the Horticultural Award Program. So, Bob, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Randy. Thanks for having me. Oh, your, your voice is coming in deep and sultry right there, mm. man. I like it. <laughs> yeah, so you just got to witness uh, me trying to go through some takes on uh, doing an intro. A little bit will be edited out, but if people are like, why does it sound like he's laughing? That's because I'm laughing at myself, everybody. Yeah, it's not me. All right, Bob, welcome to the, uh, welcome to the podcast, like the intro said. Let me, let me try and get this microphone somewhere close to my face so that I can kind of look at you and also uh, talk into this thing. So, um, yeah, man, thank you. Thank you very much for coming on. You are a, uh, you know, a former GSAS member. I currently am still. Oh, oh you, okay. So you're a fellow. It expires this month, but. Okay. So I can say that you are a fellow GSAS member like myself, um, lover of aquarium co-op. You know, you're, you're, I think you're here more than I am here at the warehouse. It seems like know. it this week, especially. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so, you know, local greater Seattle area resident and, you know, it's like 80 some odd episodes deep in the podcast and it's about time that, uh, that you came on here, Bob. And we heard everything that there is to know about Bob Steenfot. Well, this is actually my very first podcast. Ooh. Very first. Audio only. So you showed up in your pajamas, so we don't yeah. need to worry about uh, video or anything. Uh, so where, where does it all begin for you? I mean, certainly you didn't, you know, wake up one day and just start a, a random fish YouTube channel and never have any experience. So uh, for those that don't know you, where do you get your start in the hobby? What is your origin story? Are you talking about just for YouTube or from the hobby? Oh, uh, the hobby perspective, yeah. All right. So I started, um, I've always had a fascination with animals ever since like my first trip to the zoo and uh, narrowed it down to like reptiles and uh Oh, man, I must have been about 12 or 13 years old, and I stole all the cinder blocks out of the garage, all the extra shelves, and I had, like, this cinder block shelf of, of 10-gallon reptile tanks and various sizes, and then uh, once my family figured out there was nothing they could do about it, they <laughs> introduced me to my uncle, who had, like, 50 aquariums in his basement, and that's how I then made the transition to fish. Um, and is this is this in the Seattle area still? Yeah, this is okay. in Bothell. Okay. This is in Bothell, so... Um, I mean, that got me started in fish, and I started doing, um, like, I guess you'd call them paludariums now, where mix of water and land. And uh, it was pretty much downhill ever since. I would say I definitely have, even now, uh, I would still say I have more experience in reptiles than I do with fish. 
Okay. Tell me a little bit about your uncle. Was he a GSAS member, or was he just doing his no, own thing? He's okay. just doing his own thing. Okay. Well, uh, what, I mean, and this is like 30 years ago. Right. Well, so I don't even know if GS... I mean, G, GSAS has been around for a while, but... At least, I think, since the 70s, okay. I would want to say. Um, and he, I mean, I was like 10. Even if sure. he was a member, I wouldn't know. Sure. What was uh, what was your uncle doing? I'm curious now. Like, what kind of operation was he running? 50 tanks? I mean, was he a discus guy? Well, I mean... Fish guy? I was ten. It could have been like twenty tanks, but to me, it was it was massive. Okay, right? at that when when I'm that young, twenty eight. Um, <laughs> anything more than like two is a lot of tanks That's for somebody true. new to the hobby. That's true. Um, you know, I don't even know if I remember. I remember there was a, there was a lot of fifty five gallon tanks. Um, uh, definitely a lot of like the common fish. Uh, you know, there was like the big cichlids and the the angel fish. Um, there was uh, loaches. But it was pretty much anything you could find in a pet store he had. Okay, so it was more, he was just more of a collector as opposed to a breeder? Yeah, he wasn't, oh, okay. he didn't do much breeding or anything like that. Okay, so that's like some hardcore passion to, because um, I, I feel like it almost justifies itself to have a fish room, to have a lot of tanks. At least I tell myself this, if you're like a breeding operation, right? But if you've got that many tanks and you just have collectoritis, like that's kind of a whole other level of crazy awesome. And so I feel like it sounds like your uncle kind of falls into that category. And so, I mean, maybe that's where I come from, too, because, yeah. like like you said, I don't have much in the Breeders' Award program. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't do much breeding, but I still have a ton of tanks. So. Yeah. Well, I think uh, a shout-out to Zenzo. I think he's kind of going through that in his own fish room right now where he was very focused into to breeding the African cichlids and, you know, kind of making that a thing for himself and doing very well with it. And now he's just stepped back, and it's kind of more of like a, a – collectoritis may make it sound like a negative thing, but he's just kind of got a little bit of everything now in his fish room, and they're more um, display tanks and more enjoying each individual species as opposed to I'm just going to crank out, you know, cichlids and – take take them to retail stores for store credit or something like that yeah i feel i feel like it's kind of like a roller coaster like every couple of years you kind of change your focus in the hobby at least for me yeah no definitely i feel like uh, I've, I've i've gone through that and people that listen to this podcast know that uh you know i've had various um you know a, a couple different focuses uh the most recent was kind of you know thinking i'm going to turn my fish room into that discus factory and i think we talked about that when you did the uh, the fish room tour yep. um to realizing like i don't think i've got the correct setup i should have painted all three sides of my tanks black for discus and all these like various factors where you know i'd have to completely strip down the tanks or buy new ones that weren't painted to just really um set it up for discus but i felt like the easier option was just to kind of like reverse course keep the ones that are spawning right now um downsize that and then focus on some other fish that you know will, will will make it exciting for me and you know give me a little bit more variety but still be able to um, produce a few select species kind of in mass so yeah and that's kind of where i am i'm kind of on the the down slope of the uh the, the show tanks if you will and i'm starting to get interested in breeding again oh nice and uh it's it i mean it's like like i said it's like a roller coaster uh, i go from like these manuscaped Manuscape? <laughs> is that Manuscape? No, we're, that's... I don't know no idea where that this came from. Episode whatever this is, Bob Steen fought manuscaping. <laughs> it's like you take a manatee and you put it in a pool. Yeah. Uh, I think I wanted to say manicured tanks. Um, and then I'll, you know, do that for a couple years and I'll go back into breeding and I'll do that for a couple years and I'll go back into plants. And so now I'm, I'm kind of like starting to get interested in breeding again. So Nice. Nice. What um, I, I definitely want to go back to your origin story and kind of develop that out. But what are you currently interested in breeding right now? What's caught your attention? Uh, you know, no surprise. I'm, I'm raising up some rainbow fish to hope, hopefully breed mm. for myself and for my website. Which uh, which rainbow fish? So I have a, a few select species that I want to breed. 
uh, and I've bred them in the past, like uh, Praycox Rainbows, um, the the Gary Lang strain strain of Bosmanis. I have those. Um, the Blaheri, I have a really nice strain again from Gary Lang of Blaheri, and uh, those are the ones I want to focus on first. I have some Amari, and um, and there's one more species that I can't remember. Okay, I think uh, because it ties in with your website, I think we'll come back and uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about rainbow fish. But um, in in general, what's your what's your swag on how much longer it takes to get? I guess we're not going to get off rainbow fish because I'm going to ask you a question about it. Um, to get a rainbow fish from uh, up to sellable shippable size compared to like an angelfish, I because to me it feels like it's like two x the time it takes to grow out a rainbow fish, even three. I mean, it depends. So I'm not one of those people that just like feed six times a day and water change every day and i'm really trying to just power grow them mm-hmm. uh you know i still obviously for fry feed a couple times a day but it's not a race for me mm-hmm. so however long it takes like a praycox rainbow you can get sellable size in like six months yeah bozmani the same like seven seven months yeah i, I think my praycox the ones that you saw in the fish room that, that are finally um i th- i would say they're about sellable size which it's always surprising how much smaller you can sell a fish than like what you what you would think at least as it's growing out in your fish room um but yeah i would say like six months seems about right from uh when those guys uh when they hatched out feeding them brine shrimp every day for you know a good solid month to two months i would say um because those guys there was no golden pearl so for those that don't know rainbow fish really 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 small fry very very small mouth and so typically you would have to feed them um, a very very small kind of like a powder food um, and golden micron or golden pearls in like 50 micron 100 micron one of those one of those two really really small sizes um is kind of one of the first foods for them and i think i got away with um you know i take that back what was i doing i was doing sarah micron which I don't think is as small as the typical golden pearls, but maybe they are on that for like a week. Switched them over to brine shrimp because I was hatching that out, you know, a tablespoon um, pretty much every single day. Just every one of my tanks was getting brine shrimp, um, you know, angelfish fry, uh, rainbow fish fry. And then I, I would say, yeah, they probably got that for like two months. And then it's just been like extreme krill flake um, since then. And they're now like six, seven months later at, at a size I could take them into the co-op and, and let them go. Yeah, so the breeder that I buy from, I mean, he can get them ready to go in like three, four months. But again, wow. like that's his job. Mm-hmm. So he's got it really fine tuned. Yeah. All right, let's go back to your origin story, sir. So, all right, at uh, 12 years old, you're into reptiles. Um, that's, you know, just going crazy in your garage. And then your parents introduce you to your uncle, who's, you know, collector with a bunch of 55 gallons, probably some Oscars, probably a Trans Am in the driveway. Because <laughs> if you had if you had an Oscar in the 80s or 90s, you probably had a Trans Am in your driveway. At least that's what I like to think. Um, so the, what are some of your first fish? What are some of your first tank setups that you did? My very first tank setup was a 29-gallon uh that it had reptiles in it and uh, i had angelfish and i first of all i didn't know what i was doing okay, I was like, <laughs> did well, any of us so did you know any of let's us? Just, just put that out there first i had angelfish i had uh what else pretty much any shark you can get a hold of bala shark red tail shark rainbow shark because you're a kid and the yeah, word shark I was is like in it, right? shark yeah i need all the sharks <laughs> i love it and then uh clown loaches and then you know there's probably some tetras that i don't remember but did you do any live plants at first? Um, I tried live plants, and I feel like, if I remember correctly, Amazon swords were like the only thing I can grow. So it was like a mix of Amazon swords and plastic. Yeah, it was. Uh, 
the the when I was in the hobby, um, you know, ten years ago, and then as, as a kid, it was always the fake plants, like we, you know, rainbow colored gravel or natural covered gravel, whatever it is, but but fake aquarium plants. And this idea, like, well, one, I never even thought that you could or was exposed to live aquarium plants, just because it's a you know a kid in his house with no aquarium club and no no like crazy interest in fish, like going out, getting the magazines, getting the books or anything, but really enjoying the tanks, enjoying going to the pet store. Uh, and then when I was in the hobby in like 2010, um, you know, again, only no, only really knowing of uh, fake aquarium plants. And it's like, man, look at, look at the selection. You can get them all different sizes, all different varieties. I, I actually, if I, if I really think back then, I had no concept that they were even based on real plants. It's like, oh, look at these yeah. different designs of plants they made. And it's like, oh, no, that's actually Bacopa or that's actually, you know, a Valsinaria or these various real species that they just um, made into a plastic plant. And then going to my first fish club meeting ever, the Sacramento Aquarium Society in like 2006 or seven, and hearing a speaker talk and he had happened to be on keeping plants in an aquarium and I thought it was like the most boring presentation ever and it's like really like I showed my first one we're not talking about Oscars or something cool like because I, I really liked monster fish tanks back then um so yeah that was uh that was my kind of uh you know exposure or lack thereof to, to plants but now like obviously having this massive massive appreciation for them and understanding how much of a benefit they are to uh to your aquarium yeah mo- most of mine came out of my reptile tanks like I would go to um what, what am I, like craft stores, and I would buy like fake vines and stuff for my reptiles, and I would just grab them out and throw them in my fish tanks. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then there was never any issue of like, because they're submerged in water, they leached anything out, or? I never had any issues, as, okay. as far as I know of. Like, okay. I mean, I cleaned them to get all the reptile stuff off of them, but, okay. you know. <laughs> hey, it, you cleaned them? That's that's a plus, right? You didn't just throw them straight in with my... Like... Uh, well, I can tell you a horror story. My very, you know, the very first time I cleaned my aquarium... I was like, I'm going to take everything out and scrub it because oh, everything 100%. was covered in algae. 100%. Yep. So I just went over to the sink. I plugged it. I filled it up with sink water, scooped the valve of my fish, and just threw them in the sink. Yep. And then spent like, I don't know how, probably like an hour cleaning my tank, went back to the sink, and all my fish are just like huddled at the bottom because <laughs> it's just like frozen sink water. Oh, geez. I'm like, and then they just hit me like right then, right when I saw them. I was like, oh, crap. Yeah. But none of them died. I yeah. rushed them back into the tank. And As a kid, we would do the one annual tank cleaning of our, and I think it, I think it was a 55-gallon, where everything would come out gravel everything fish would go in a bucket and then we'd fill it back up with hose water just straight hose water which we had a well so um no chlorine nor chlorine thank god actually that we had well water because i'm sure if we were on um city water maybe that would have been much worse for them but yeah it was it was just a complete um short of like lysol or bleach in the tank like it was just everything came out everything got washed and cleaned and then put it back in and you know, again, not having any literature, not having parents that were like, oh, yeah, we're, we're big fish nerds. It was just a thing that we had for the family, and we would definitely just, yeah, kind of scorch with it almost. Yeah, and for me, all this was like pre-internet, mm-hmm. like early 90s, oh, for like sure. 90, 91. Yep. And uh, anytime we went on vacation, my family knew if there was like a reptile or a fish shop, we were going there. <laughs> like uh, they specifically, just for me, when we went on vacation to the San Diego Zoo, and of course, I had to look in the phone book for all the all the reptile shops, and because there's some good ones in California. Nice. And uh, we drove like an hour just to go to one. That's awesome. I don't know how many reptile shops I went into. I felt like we had a decent number of like independent pet stores, though. So that that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, yeah. Well, back then there was like, I mean, pet stores at malls. Yeah. 
Yeah, the and, uh, the, the, yeah. The, the the mall pet store, um, very like very quintessential memories of that as a kid. And you know they had puppies, they had kitties. Like you know, let's not talk about puppy mills or any of that kind of stuff. But they had puppies, kitties, birds, fish. Like they were just kind of everything in something that's like what a thousand square feet of space. And the selection was way more, especially with, yeah. with reptiles. Yeah, you'd get your Cinnabon hot dog on a stick and then go pick out some fish. Like that's yeah. that's a your pretty Julius. That's a. Pre- <laughs> That's a great evening at the Modesto Mall for uh, for those Northern California folks right there. All right, so uh, twenty nine gallon. You got you got the kind of Thunderdome tank going on in there. Like, how does your how does your experience then and your progression expand from there? So I actually made a weird transition into mammals. Um, I got to, well, I got to the twenty nine gallon, and I had multiple like ten and twenty gallon tanks as well. Um, I never had like a specific fish. It was mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, you know. I mean, at this point, I'm probably like 14 or 15. I'm like, that looks cool. I want it. Right. Don't even know what the name of it is. I would just buy it. And um, I kind of made this weird transition into mammals, and I got, you know, ferrets and sugar gliders. And I my, my room was just like crazy with animals. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, all through high school, and then, I, and then uh, after high school, you know, college, and I moved out, got rid of everything. And I was out of the hobby, out of all animals for quite some time until I was done with college. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, did you miss it at all? Do you remember like having a void? Um, I replaced that uh, void with other things that <laughs> other hobbies. Yeah. And uh, but anyways, when I was done with college, and then you know, got established, that's when I went like full hardcore back into aquariums. Okay. And then uh, what what got you back into it though? Uh, so I was actually out hiking, and um, there was like this little dried up stream, and uh, a bunch of stickleback minnows flopping mm. around. And so I scooped them up in my water bottle and just brought them home. And I still had, like, one 10-gallon tank that I had kept for nice. some reason. Nice. And I filled it back up, and I just sat there, and I watched them swimming around for, like, two hours, and that was the end of it. Yeah. Like I immediately went to Petco the next day, got the filters, the heaters. <laughs> like, it went just all out. And what, what year was this that you got back in? Oh, man. This would have to be, like, late 2000s. Okay. Like, maybe, like, 07. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's about the time when I was uh, when I was in it, and then as you get back in, you know, you, did you discover the forums? Uh, so I the first forum I actually remember going to was the Planet Tank. Okay, because when I got back into it, like I got back into just plants, like I want, because I've been doing so much hiking and everything outdoors, like I want that in my aquarium. Okay, and so the very first thing I found was like the PlanetTank.net. Okay. Oh, interesting that you would, uh, that yeah, you went into uh, to plants, at get, kind of getting back in. Obviously, the sticklebacks, you know, hooked you, but then kind of going towards plants. So then was it just like one aquarium just maxed out with plants, or did you do more? Well, I, I like to think it was Destiny, because the next day when I went to Petco, they were having their dollar per gallon sale. Oh, nice. And I was like, this 40-gallon tank is only $40? It's like, I'll take all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it started. That's awesome. <laughs> but, but... You you know when I went further in with reptiles, I went from like the fake rocks and all the stuff you can buy on the shelf to all natural. Mm-hmm. And so when I got back into aquariums, it was like that same mindset. Gotcha. Like, all natural. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, what kind of what kind of successes? What kind of failures did you have early on with the planted stuff? So, actually, not much because I didn't really go out of my comfort level. Like it was all Amazon's, Anubias, um, Crips, and I knew this time to actually research, unlike when I was a kid, and just buy stuff. <laughs> and so, like, I, you know, I spent so much time on that forum and reading about water parameters and what works well and 
and the Seattle water and mm-hmm. really started learning about that stuff. So, I mean, I definitely spent a lot of money killing plants. I think we all do when mm-hmm. we first get into it, but um, I don't really think of it as failures that much, but just like learning experiences. Yeah, for sure. And at least with, with plants as opposed to the fish, I mean, you know, you feel much, you don't feel nearly as bad if you uh, kill off a plant as, you know, if you uh, lose one of your fish. So that's for certain. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely the, the you know, the times when I'd go on there and I'd buy like this super rare expensive plant and it would just die. Mm-hmm. I mean, that if there was a failure, that would be it. Just because it was like, ooh, this is cool and new. And mm-hmm. I, I remember I got like a Nubius Pangolino or something like some special group buy first time in the U.S. and spent like $80 for like a little rhizome with like three plants on it. Oh, man. And then I put it in my tank and then it got, I don't remember if I super glued it or if I used string, but somehow it got detached and then I never saw it again. Like oh, it, no. It went off somewhere and all the plants. And so I'm sure it's, I mean, it still might be in there because mm-hmm. it's still in the same tank. But <clears throat> What was the uh, plant buying scene like in 2007, 2008? Like I, I obviously there's no aquariumcoop.com. Um, I can't imagine that there were many dot-com outlets for you to purchase plants from. Uh, no, I think it was all done on forums. I don't think I went, man, I don't know what would be my first website I went to to buy plants. I don't, I mean, not counting Facebook, like an actual company. But it's, ba- it's basically just like hobbyists, you know, some guy in Southern California that imports from overseas is like, hey, this is what I'm bringing in and who wants in so on I didn't it. So I didn't even do that. I would look for like clippings. Okay. And because I know like that's going to make it easier for me. Mm-hmm. Like at this point at this time are you plugged into uh, GSAS? Um I haven't logged in in probably a couple months but I mean no 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 I mean at this time uh in like 2007 Uh no. Nope, I had no idea. Um but I didn't learn about GSAS until I went to Aquarium Co-op for the first time. Okay. And he Corey told me about it. Okay. And when was your when was that? So if you're in in 2007 Corey opened up in like 2012, 13? Yeah, the timeline's getting kind of sketchy. Um, I don't know the exact. It was like, it was within the first year he opened. Mm-hmm. This is your testimony, by the way. So if you're wrong, yeah. we're gonna hold you again. We're gonna hold sure. it to you. Sure, that's not the first time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I remember, um, basically, I was on Craigslist looking for used aquariums, and back then Corey used to advertise his shop on Craigslist like every day. Oh, nice. Yeah, and I was like, aquarium co-op? What? This is a fish store, and I work like ten minutes away. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to swing in after work. And that's when I met Corey. And this is when he was, like, the only employee. Uh-huh. So he was there all the time. Yeah. And so I would stop there all the time like the like a fish nerd, you know, yeah. obviously. And then, like, I was the annoying customer that would just sit there and talk to him. <laughs> and that's basically how we, how we became friends is I forced him. <laughs> nice. Go in there and talk to him. But he told me about GSAS, and then I went to the first meeting. Nice. Um I don't remember who I don't remember the first meeting I went to who it was, but was it at the uh, library back then? Because or was it at SPU? It, yeah, it's been at SPU ever since I've been going. Okay, so SPU is Seattle Pacific University. For those uh, listening, it's to the northwest, uh, just a little bit of Lake Union, in uh, you know, kind of north of downtown Seattle. So, yeah, cool. Which is a mildly inconvenient location to get to if you live anywhere that's not across the street from SPU. <laughs> it's uh, it honestly has kept me from going to a lot of meetings. <sighs> it's tough, man. That's a whole that's a whole other conversation yeah. of like we need to do I, once once pandemic aside, like we need to do a better. And I say we, um, uh, yeah, um, I, w- I would love to see given the traffic situation in this greater Seattle area, if we had satellite locations where people could physically meet, do like mini swaps, mini auctions. But uh, have like a virtual presentation. Like clearly, we're doing it right now for the entire club. 
but if everybody met at SPU and then that video was broadcast live to a location in, let's say, Woodville or Bellevue, east side, somewhere in the south, like, I don't know, um, Federal Way, and then somewhere up north like Everett, I feel like that would strengthen the community and more people would then in, get involved and participate. So for me, the the speakers are cool, you know. I'll, I'll definitely <clears throat> make the trip down there for like a Gary Lang or mm-hmm. a Barbie uh, – the, the Pleco Queen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Pleco Barbie. Pleco Barbie, yeah. Uh, but for me, it's also about that auction. So, if, like, I wouldn't go to a remote one because mm. that's how you get your plans for cheap. But you can, so I'm, I'm still advocating that each location would still do an auction after oh, the okay. presentation. Yeah, it would okay. just be, you know, maybe it's not full on auction or it could be swap. It could be a swap. It could be somebody's, you know, just going to sell their clippings. Like, they have an idea of what it would probably go for in the auction, and so they're going to go ahead and offer it up there. You know, something where there can still be kind of that commerce aspect of it to get, you know, the good variety of whatever it is, um, but just make it so that people would it's still at least, you know, have some sense of, like, physical community with each other because um, it's just, you know, it's, it's pretty brutal for somebody um, once traffic, like, really gets going to make it to those meetings uh, and, you know, get home at a reasonable time, too. Well, yeah, especially because they go to like sometimes eleven o'clock at night. They do. <laughs> and when you're our, when you're an hour away with no traffic, not yeah. that there's traffic at midnight, but still, yeah, like just getting there. Yeah, it's so unless it has to be like a really good speaker. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go back. Let's go back into the time machine. Um, you are into plants. You're doing all that good stuff. Uh, how do you then transition into like uh, getting into breeding fish? Oh boy, it was African cichlids. Mm-hmm. And it was probably just because they are super easy to breed. <laughs> and they're colorful. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, oh, man, I couldn't even tell you the first fish I bred. I don't have much for a memory. That's <laughs> okay. So one of the things I have, too, is when you actually finally did get plugged into GSAS. And you never went up to Conway before Corey opened up co-op? I went to Conway once, and that was enough for me to not go back. Okay. Like... Say no more. Yeah. Say no more. Which, unfortunately, I mean, Jim was a super nice guy, but yeah, it was. um, I had one experience buying fish, and uh, he said it says right on the cash register that GSAS members get 10% discount. And I was like, here's my card. And he said, well, the the fish are already too cheap. I can't give you a discount. Oh, that's a bummer. And I'm like, you got to price accordingly. I know. If you, if you, if there is a, you're advertising it right on your register, man, don't, and he's like, these are already too cheap. Uh, yeah, yeah. Cause then I would imagine if like the price was just 10% more, you probably still would have bought them. Oh yeah. Like you would never would have known you would have got your 10% discount. You would have went on your merry way. Yeah. That's tough, man. That's, that's such a vital component of just each customer interaction. Um, you know, like as a, as a, as a retailer, you have to be on your game a hundred percent of the time. Cause just that one interaction can ruin it for somebody there's um i I like um you know nerdy games and whatnot you saw you actually came in one time while we were playing warhammer here in the break room (laughs) and so uh you know there's there's a there's a local shop that i went into and just had you know a really bad experience that you know anybody with common sense would be like yeah they should absolutely just taken care of you and not made you bend over backwards and i like to think that i'm a pretty easy customer pretty easy person to please i've got a decent amount of common sense um but this one was just like really are you really gonna do this with the money that i spent in here and it's never just one thing for me so it's like the store was dirty Mm. like the tanks were dirty and i realize it's an old building but i feel like i was gonna fall through the floor (laughs) (laughs) you know it's just like and i and this is not knowing anything about the store going in okay so it was just like i saw it driving through and i was like hey let's stop here real quick and he had some full-grown 
male Bosmani rainbows. Okay. For like $25. Oh, wow. And I'm like, yeah. Like full, like, yeah. Like, okay. Like monsters. Okay. Monsters, like yeah. five inches. That's the joy of the audio podcast. People can't see that I like put my <laughs> fingers together yeah. to kind of like simulate the size of an adult Bosmani. So he was right in that the fish were already mm-hmm. too cheap, but it was still like, Price yeah. accordingly, man. Yeah, I mean that's that's a sixty dollars fish. Jeez. Um, does um does Danny's? I haven't been in there in a while, but does Danny's still have their nice uh, rainbow fish uh, display tank? Uh, not since they moved. Okay, I thought I thought they still might have had it up, but they had some good. I've only been there once since they moved. Oh really? Yeah, they had some giant Parkinsoni mm. rainbows. I thought I felt like they had uh, some big big Bosmani in there too, but that was a cool tank. Like the substrate, I think the substrate's like nine inches yeah. tall in the front, and then it's like a foot in the back. Just this sloped uh, sl- slope substrate, massive amount of plants, and just huge huge rainbow fish. There. Well, now they have that uh, African cichlid pond. Yes, with yes. the big parrot that lives above it. The parrot passed away. Oh, that's right. I think it's Tiki, Tiki, that's right, that's Kiki, right. something like that. Yeah, that's that, that's definitely sad because that was a super cool, super cool parrot to see. I love I love Denny's. Uh, shout out to Denny's Pet World if you're over on the east yeah, side. I didn't even know who he was. Like I've had multiple conversations with him, and then one time I went there with, with, with the parrot. No. <laughs> <laughs> and one time I went there with Corey, and he's like, "That's the owner." And I was like, "Oh, really? oh, John, he's yeah, super yeah. nice guy. Yeah, yeah, John is very, very nice guy. Um, actually, had a chance. I've I've met and talked with him here locally, and also." Uh, had a chance to talk and hang out in China at uh, at Sips with John. So oh, nice. super super nice guy. I really really like Denny's. Jesse at Denny's is awesome in their uh, in their fish area, and you know that's that's a great place. I'd love to go there and just you know I'll, I'll pick up a couple things. Even like I even though I work at a fish and pet store, I'll still go there um, and buy stuff. And I really enjoy my interactions with pretty much everybody in Denny's and a lot a lot of cool stuff. Okay, so kind of moving forward, let's jump into your uh, GSAS. We've got your Breeders Award Program Archive Record. So this is something really, really fun about uh, GSAS is if you are a member, you have access, and this is only going to be for, for people that are local, like you actually have to physically be able to attend a meeting or have attended a meeting to join and have access to this kind of stuff. Hopefully, though, um, other clubs do this, and if you are a part of a club that doesn't do this, maybe look into something like this because this is really fun. Uh, for both the Breeders Award Program and the Horticultural Award Program, you can go in and search um, any member and see their submissions. So I can see for Bob, even though he claims to be a good breeder, he's only got 15 submissions, which... so. <laughs> I I'm only, teasing. I'm teasing. So I'm, I'm, I mean, we can, I don't want to like talk negative about anything, but there's certain issues I have with the Breeders Award program. So I never really got into it. Ooh, spicy. Not Very really. Spicy. But all right. You know, let's see if I did it there. Well, yeah. More. So I'm, I'm just going to point out right here. <laughs> so we're, we're looking at the list. You guys can't see this, but there's Ancestrous, uh, Bristlenose, right? There's the regular one. And I get credit for the albinos. Like, it's the same fish, but you get mm. credit. So if I put up the super reds, if I put up the greens, if I put up the long fin greens, all those are a different submission, even though they're the same fish. You know, to be And f- I don't really agree with that. To be fair, I am finding the long fin super red to be infinitely more challenging to breed than, than the, the short fin one. It is the one that I haven't bred yet. Mm. But otherwise, every... Every bristle nose, I just throw in a tank and they breed. I could I could give you that, and I, I would say so. That's where that's where there's that fine line of um, let's how do we how do we make this fun for everybody? 
how do we make everybody feel like you know they're involved in the competition, but then also balance it with people that are just straight competitive? And I think you might maybe have a little bit of that streak. So, so one one I one, might be a little competitive. <laughs> one thought <laughs> one thought would be yeah, let's let the variants, let's let the different color varieties uh, count for like a bristlenose or a, or a guppy per se, so that people can have more submissions and feel and and be able to hit those different levels, right? So so one, it's an internal internal competition with yourself, right? You can hit these various levels of non amateur expert master breeder um you know so so you can do those things individually with your submissions but then there's also an annual competition where whoever has the most points so you know you could see that somebody could potentially kind of game it if they're trying to you know win the annual competition and breed all the different gu- uh, guppy varieties hopefully at some point the, the maybe the, the chairperson might step in and limit that although then that becomes kind of a subjective as opposed to objective rule um, but I think there's kind of that balancing act of how do we make this thing fun and engaging and get everybody involved uh, and yet keep it so that people can't game the system because we know people always want to game the system. Yeah, and the, the other issue is when I see, like, just this new strain. Like, this is my own made-up strain. Oh. And, and it's like, that takes years. Mm. And I know that you showed you bought this fish, like, seven months ago. Mm-hmm. And now you got one one guppy that came out with a different color. So now you're calling it your own strain and you're submitting it for points. Oh, nice. Like, that that happened, and so you know, it's just it's little things like for, that. For the record, you only have of your fifteen submission, only two have a photo. I would have declined every single one of them had you not put in photos. Yeah, that's half I the agree. fun. Half the fun is the photos, like being able to go in here and see a picture of. Let's even see if it's a good one. Yeah, your uh, your blue neocaridina blue pearl shrimp. You got your picture in there. You got one little guy just chilling. That's a good yeah. looking shot with with buried up. Yeah, nice. I'm telling you. And when, when, wait, this is the blue pearl. What's the date on it? Uh, where's our date? Uh, date submitted 1031, 2016. Yeah, before they were mainstream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Look at this guy. <laughs> His tank mates. We've got, uh, you've had green neon rasbora, ember tetra, pygmy cori, oki finoki. Yep. Oki finoki pygmy sunfish. I bought that fish just for the name. What in the world? Okie I would assume that's like a lake next to Lake Okeechobee. <laughs> no, Okie Okie What in is Florida? That's what I'm saying. Like Lake Okeechobee is another lake. I don't know. What does it say there? That is a yeah. fantastic looking fish. I don't have them anymore. Whoa! But I wish I did. I've been trying Dude. to get this fish for like a year from people okay. in Florida. All right, all right. I, I'm juiced up. I was. Why didn't you tell me? I was just in Florida, man. I went. And this. Fish, I went birding on my day off. Like I could have. I could have went. You know, I could have smuggled some of these back to us. This fish is like a quarter inch long, full size. Oh my! I'm exaggerating. Oh, I was gonna say a quarter inch. I they're just did definitely that like an inch or less. All right, this is a, if I remember, I'm gonna link this in the uh, in the show notes because this thing is a stunner. Yeah. Wow. So Oki Finoki pygmy sunfish. Let's learn some more about this guy, everybody, because this fish, AquacultureStore.com. I swear to God, Robert is buying something from this store right now. Eight bucks, D- dude. I think, I think, I think I'm about to tell Robert what to add on to his order. Do you want to get some group of? Ooh, all right. So shout out, shout out to AquacultureStore.com. They have the Okiefin. Okay, dude. So we need to buy these before I publish this episode, so they don't run out of these things. One that assumes that people actually listen to this, and two that well, how assumes much is that- it? how much is the eight pack? The eight pack. Let's find out. So Mix. one female. Well, let's just go down the list here. One female, eight ninety five. Market price. I like that. 
they want to let you know you're getting a good deal. Twelve ninety five, okay, for one female, one male, same price. Here we go. Four mixed sex juveniles and adults, twenty eight ninety five. But the market price is still twelve ninety five. What are they doing now? They got to they got to update that code on the forum. All right, and then let's do eight because I think I'd go with the eight. Oh yeah. Do they need? I feel like I could probably put these guys in my next garage tub. And you're going to want to do Brian Shrimp. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've actually, uh, two days ago, oh, dang it. I, wait, no, yes, I did. I made my Brian Shrimp last night. Uh, I'm firing back up my Brian Shrimp because there's some more more breeding activity yeah, I want to do. eggs. All right. Eight mixed sex juveniles and adults of the Okefenokee Pygmy Sunfish, $38.95. That, folks, I think that is a steal. But, yeah, Robert now, was, I'm going to tell you a secret. Look for them on Aquabid because they're like, okay, way we can do that. We've got technology. Let's do that. I haven't seen them on there for a while, but that's where I got mine, and they were like three or four dollars because they just go right, they just go right. and scoop them out. So if you can't find them, that cheap price does us no good, Bob. Come on, let's just do pig, p i p y g pig me sunfish, f i s h. Nope, I didn't spell that right. Okay, p oh that's no, right there. I just don't think they're... I don't think they're... Just type in pygmy. Or I'm, I'm going to type in sun. Don't tell me what to do. How dare you? Yeah, the banded one doesn't look that good. All right, so the only sunfish. So right now, it's supply and demand, buddy. I know. Your aquabids got zero supply. I think if you start breeding those. That's a sweet-looking sunfish. <laughs> That's a monster. Dude, so our native fish, like granted the... Granted, rather, I said granite. Sorry, folks. Um, they're pretty awesome looking. There's a lot of really, really cool... U.S. native fish that are incredibly beautiful, but the uh, the sunfish well, we have them in Washington too. Olympic mud minnow, no, some fish. Do we, dude? I wait. Th- am I thinking of? Yeah, my dad has some in his pond. We have sunfish. Well, let's find out. Let's let's diverge and uh, and do that. This is this is a free podcast, so you know people can't complain too much about uh, bouncing around on topics and whatnot. No, but that's super awesome. I dude, I seriously think. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna pull the trigger on this and tell Robert. I'm actually going to send him the link right now, while we are talking, and well, tell him to buy this for me. Get me some too. Do you want me to get two of them? Yeah. All right. You can just wait, and I'll read them. You or I can. You want to race? Wait. Are we gonna race? I'm. <gasps> whatever. So we're both gonna get. I mean, I've done two. it before. So if you want to lose, we're. <laughs> <laughs> so we're both so we're both gonna get oh man this is good this is good all right so we're both gonna get two eight mixed sex juveniles did you tell them to uh not hold on hold on i'm setting Come up on, i'm man. setting up the competition man everybody's like on pins and needles right now trying to figure out what's gonna happen we're gonna do bob steenflot and i randy reed aquarius podcast host um kind of uh juvenile wait no no, no padawan breeder um is we're gonna have a competition and it's going to be whoever can breed the most or the or the first. First, should we do points, or should it be both? Both, both. Okay, so we'll figure out we'll figure out the point system and how we'll how we'll do this. But I think we'll do first to breed and then most to breed, and then we'll check back in. Oh, this is good. This is good. All right, Bob. And now right. I know where to buy them to pad my numbers. <laughs> <laughs> you <dog. laughs> I'm going to contact these people and say, do not sell. Any more of these to the state of Washington. You're going to have to smuggle it. You know what? I think, I think I would do that. I would say don't. If I had control, I would say don't sell it to the state of Washington. But if you were such a competitive person that you would smuggle them in from Idaho or Oregon, I feel like I'd be okay with that. Like if you had to go through all that trouble. Well, 
as you heard from my Breeders Award program. I'm not one for cheating. Uh, buy two. One for me. Eight packs. One for me. One for Bob. Uh, the eight, eight pack. Yeah. Thank you. Please. Smiley face. Please. There. <laughs> the that, was, that, was a, that was not please. a smiley face. Just Whoa. saying. <laughs> That was the O face. That was the O face? <laughs> All right, well, let's go back and do the O face. Let's get, hold on, hold on. I realize we're excited, but we'll, come on. No, we'll make it better. We'll, we'll go and give Robert a sticker. Let's do a... Uh, give him a gif. You want a gif? Which gif should we give him? I don't know. Just type in a random word. This is what I do. Just pick a what? random word. Um, helicopter. A, no, no, give him a Hulk Hogan gif. That's my favorite thing. Hulk Hogan gifs? All right. Oh, they're so good. Not Hulk. a hog fan. <laughs> yeah, look how excited he is. <laughs> should we do the hell yeah, brother? <laughs> or do we want him uh, no, him wait. ripping the shirt? Yeah. Him ripping the shirt. He's so excited. <laughs> That's going to be me when I beat you in this competition. <laughs> Just Hulk Hogan ripping his shirt apart. What are you going to do, brother? <laughs> I'll tell you what, brother. All right. <clears throat> Okefenokee Pygmy Sunfish. All right, let's 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 read this description. Let's make this the Aquarius podcast and people actually can learn something. Uh, the Okefenokee Pygmy Sunfish is an excellent fish for a nanotank. The can, that's their thats their misspelling, not me, folks. They can breed in as little as five gallons of water and prefer a well-planted aquarium. The males turn black with iridescent bars and fins, and the females are brown or mottled in coloration, requires live or frozen foods. I swear, dude, if we could breed this thing and supply it to the co-op, I bet Robert could sell a ton of these And I'm going to say it says turn black with iridescent bars. Iridescent blue bars, but that is 100% the case. They are jet black. With blue, just bright neon blue. If okay, so if you showed me this, I'd be like, "Oh, cool! That's a cool looking killie from like South America or something." Yeah, it does. It looks like the annual kill, an annual killie fish. Okay, and then let's uh, let's learn a little bit more about this. So we've digressed off the main topic, but this is what I love about this podcast and just fun conversations is you go down these rabbit holes. They're still most of them are mildly related to the hobby, but like you just you just go into like I had no idea that we'd be talking about the Okapinoki. And I, you know, fish. I talk about this probably like every four months on my live stream. Really? Just in case there's someone from Florida that can go get some. All right. All right. Here we go. Uh, Okefenokee pygmy sunfish is a species of pygmy sunfish found in the southeastern United States where it prefers water with dense vegetation uh, growth in the Altamaha drainage in southern Georgia, south to Lake Okeechobee, Florida. See? I told yeah. you there's a Lake Okeechobee. Interior Lake Basins. I think, didn't Alan Jackson have a song about Lake Okeechobee? Um, and Upper Swanee, Withal Coochie, I swear that's literally what that says. Hillsborough River Drainage on the Gulf Coast of Florida. Yeah, so I was in, uh, I was pretty darn far away from this. It would have been about a six-hour drive for me to go from uh, where I was in Florida a couple weeks ago up to here. But, yeah, but to be fair, they're all over in Florida. And they're least concerned, too. What's all over in Florida are the, uh, what were they? They were like the blue-banded tilapia. I think it was probably a, convicts. It was no, it was a, it was a tilapia species that I saw. I'll, I'll show you some pictures too. Um, but dude, Florida man, there's so much stuff in the water. There's so many animals. Just seeing iguanas sunbathing in Florida is hilarious. <laughs> it's like there's iguana roadkill. Yeah, uh, iguana also, roadkill is a thing. Uh, when I was there, there was a knolls everywhere. Oh, Just the the little everywhere. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, Okefenokee Pygmy Sunfish, this thing is awesome. The diet, uh, let's do the, dis- I already kind of read the, the description. Diet, some good foods to try in the aquarium are California blackworms, Daphnia, grindleworms, microworms, and having a healthy population of snails. <gasps> they eat snails? Live food is a must. You think they eat snails, though? Did you? I've never seen one eat a snail. 
that's pretty good, man, because some of my tanks have those real tiny little bladder snails that I absolutely hate. I wouldn't mind scraping some of those out to feed into this thing. Dude, this thing is a, this is a winning fish if it also eats snails. Some pygmy sunfish will learn to supplement their diet with uh, crushed flake food. I guarantee you they will crush extreme krill flake. 100%. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Uh, but this should not be replied upon as the only food source. The crushed flake food, uh, the crushed flakes, fish flakes are a good idea, though, because they will feed the microfauna that will turn into feed the elisoma. I don't even know what that is. They like uh, pH ranges from 6 to 8, solid. Now, this is all Wikipedia, so I don't know <laughs> what these sources are, but we're going to take it as gospel right now. Uh, pH 6 to 8 and a preferred temperature range of 4 degrees Celsius to 30 degrees Celsius? What? Elasoma is a scientific name. What? Elasoma? What is that? What are you talking about? That's the scientific name of the sunfish, of the oaky... Finoki. Oh, Elisoma. Okay, Finoki. Okay. Elisonoma is the genus. All right. So they can go down to 39 degrees. These are perfect for my 150-gallon tub in the garage. I'm telling you. Dude, I'm so happy that I was there I was like, go. man, Bob's going to come here. we got to have an interview. Uh, but now I'm, I'm and joking. now you I'm got joking. something out of it. I'm joking, folks. No, that's fantastic. Seriously, everybody check this fish out, man. This guy is awesome. And... Uh, any listeners in southern Georgia, North Florida, I mean, we're just going to buy these things. Like the chance, like the, I think logistically working that out to get these shipped to us is going to be a nightmare. Might as well just have, uh, just buy them off that website. 40 bucks for eight. That's not bad. What's shipping? I don't know. I guess you're ordering anyway, so it doesn't matter. <sighs> oh, we're splitting that for sure. Just send me a bill. So if I pay for shipping, that gives me plus 14 days. On the uh, that gives me a 14 day uh, gimme. So if you breed, and if I can breed within the 14 days of that, then I win. If I pay for shipping, do you want those terms? Doesn't matter to me. I'll still breed them before you. So you got, but you have to do it before. You have to do it in let in more than uh, less than a 14 day swing. I'll pump these full of steroids as soon as they get here. Hormone steroids. <laughs> oh, no, I'm gonna run. I'll send them to a lab for analysis, man. We're, we're gonna send them to the Olympic. No juicing. Uh, we're gonna send them to the Olympic uh, Athletics Committee and have them tested. All right. And so how did you come across this fish then? So we're going to – God, we're spending a lot of time on the Okafenoki pygmy sunfish, but that's I okay. I came across this fish on Aquabed just cruising around. Okay. And then you just saw the pictures and were like, this thing is sweet? Yep. So I used to have a job where I sat at a computer for 10 hours a day. And so all I would do is look at fish lists all day long. And do you think – and this is not Photoshop. This is not like these pumped up these pumped up blues. Well, you can tell like the blacks are, are – the shadows are turned down to make it darker. Okay. So. But, yeah, you can get it to look like that. All right, what about this guy with the potato phone? Let's see here. Where'd that potato phone shot go? This one right here. That's pretty accurate. That is crazy. That's like that's like uh, uh, the dark ram. That's like the black the black uh, German. So the neon, I compare it to, like, the Parasipochromus, if anyone's ever seen one of those. I probably saw one of those at the uh, Extreme Farm Tour. Probably not. No? Hold on. Parasiprochromis. C-Y. C-Y. That's close enough. Yeah, see? Look at the images. They definitely had something like this. Because I think he said that was one of his uh, like favorite fish that he had. I think this might have been in one of the first vats that I visited. I don't know, it's been a while since I've watched that video. That video's doing so good, man. 
It is, yeah. <laughs> that was such a fun tour. I want to go back there. That was a, that was an awesome. Yeah, awesome I'm gonna go fall. back. Sponsored by Co-op. Co-op's gonna pay me to go back. Let's go, man. I got I, I have got more business in Florida to do. You can tag along. And then actually, I need to go up. I need to go up north too. Road trip. Mm-hmm. Well, Jimmy was almost gonna go with when, me. When are we gonna get the uh, the co-op motorhome? <laughs> <laughs> the co-op motorhome with the sweet graphics on the side and the, like the tour bus so i've already told Corey i want i want our our delivery van i want to get that thing like wrapped in mabu puffer just mabu puffer print this ford transit van going down the road and then in the front we People have we have 3d we could have 3d <laughs> it would be it would be the dumb and dumber version but for aquarium co-op you know the the their dog wagon mm-hmm. so it would be the mabu print all across like all over the van, we'd have we would convert the headlights to be big and bulbous, like Mabu Puffer eyeballs, and then we would get 3D um, uh, the four teeth in in the front on the grill. It would just be like the Puffer it. van, dude. That would be so good. And then that could double as the uh, that could double as like we'll just put some cots in there, and that'll be the RV. Fold down. We're on a shoestring budget, man. We can't afford a full on RV, or we can get like a 1980. I can get you a 39 foot. <laughs> retired bus for three grand <laughs> and how much money is it going to take to get this thing running bob they run they run yeah okay all right <laughs> the co-op the co-op bus do we just bus. take do we just take a tour across america since, yes since there's like zero flights you know how awesome that would be oh man i wonder if there's any way of like we could have like aerosol sprays in the air killing viruses and stuff if we could actually have like large crowd gatherings to like fan meetups in all the in all the states that we can drive to. I'm sure something could be done. 49 states. Drive up to Alaska. That'd be kind of sweet. All right. Anyways. Digressing hard. Um, so then your your personal experiences with this fish, you got them on Aquabid. Uh, how many did you get? Uh, I think I got a dozen-ish. Okay. And then how long did you have them for? And what, what kind of happened? Oh, man. I had them for probably three, four years, and then just, you know, change things up, sell them. Okay. Did you... Did you uh, list them here in the GSAS? Probably not. Probably not, this guy. All right, Bob. Let's go. Let's see all your entries. Did you list them? Uh, no, I do not see them. And so uh, breeding them, like what was your what was your experience with breeding these fish? I just put them in a tank and let them... Let them do their thing? Yep. And I would assume, what, egg scatterers? And then uh, Lots of live food, lots and lots and lots of plants. Mm. Very dense because they are really small. I mean, that's that's an adult you're looking at right there. Mm-hmm. I think what did that website say that they can get up to inch and a quarter? Inch and a quarter. Mine never got that big. Wow, that's pretty generous. That is such a cool that dude. That is such an amazing fish, and the fact that it's a native, a U.S. native, just really amplifies it for me. And goes cold. And goes cold. Ooh, so good, so good. That's a pond fish for sure, or, or an outside tub fish. Did you, huh? Did you have a heated fish room at the time, or what? What kind oh, yeah. of setup were they in? Oh yeah. Okay. So they were. I had them in a forty breeder. Okay. And in a twenty nine gallon. And so they did okay year round at a consistent temperature. Oh yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I felt like, and I but was my room's only heated to like low seventies. Oh, all right. Because I felt like that's where I went wrong with those, um, with those other Gadeads that I that I have again is that they were just in a fish room that was too warm for them for too long. 
and that they needed a seasonal change. You had an interesting experience with a Goodyear, the Trout Goodyear. Okay. So I've had this Goodyear for pretty close to a year. Adults, never bred. And all I did was move the hang on back from the back of the tank to the side to create a ton of flow. And now they're breeding like crazy. Huh. All it took was flow. Well, that's that's really big with species like loaches, right? Like the hillstream loaches. Yep. Like they need they need that current. And I don't know if you went to Mark uh, Dufel, Mark Dufel from, oh, from yeah. the UK. You went to his talk. Yeah. I would love. I've I was in communication with him very early on. I really wanted to get him in the podcast. One because he specializes in a really cool species uh, or type of fish, and the second is that he has a British accent, which anybody with a British accent instantly goes up like ten IQ points for me. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that's 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 pretty. Co- what what made you do that change? Was it just you were changing things up uh, for the it sake of It was actually because of duckweed, and so I was just creating. I wanted to create more flow to help kill off all the duckweed. Mm. And uh, basically, I, I move it to the side. You know, forces all the duckweed to one side of the tank, and then I could just scoop it out. Illidan fricadens. Yep, the trout gadeed. It's my by far my favorite. This is, did you get them from Greg Sage at Select Aquatics? No. Well, they might have come from there, but I got them from a GSAS member. Okay. That's a pretty cool. And so the trout, because of the speckling on the body, is, uh, oh, I know, that says butterfly gadeed. That says trout gadeed right there. Yeah, it's, still, it's got the black spots. And is that is and that kind of why they call it the trout gadeed? Because of the, the, body sh- the body coloration looks kind of trout-esque? You know, I don't really look at name origins. See, I love that. That's like... Um, I'm not I'm not like crazy into biotopes, but I love understanding uh, what the genus and the species name translates to. Because more often than not, like if it's not named after like Herbert Axelrodi or something like that, or Gary Langi, you know, like the name means something, and it's like, oh, what's the etymology of that name? Um, and usually it, it has something to do with like their physical description or their behavior or whatnot, or who found them, or where they're collected, or who found them, or who collected them. Yeah, those ones aren't as fun. Um. You're just no, mad because you don't have a fish named after yourself. Stop it. Stop <laughs> it. Not yet. Not yet. You know my secret plans. Um, what does it say? It's one of the, he's, Greg Sage says it's one of the prettiest fish in his fish room. Awesomely <laughs> called, uh, commonly called the trout gadeeds. Do you still have these guys? Oh, yeah. Nice. Yep. I'll never get rid of those. Those are awesome. Which means I'll probably have them for another couple years. you know to be fair though i feel like you know a couple years is a pretty that's a pretty good stretch like unless you're unless you're commercially selling well not commercially that's the wrong term but unless you're like actively breeding them to distribute or sell um that that feels pretty good and that's kind of cool that you should honestly like that's that's your cares chops right there man just always keep that because i'm have to imagine if that's a good deal it's probably not doing so hot out in the wild i have that one and uh Tequila, tequila split. There you go. Yeah. Let's do, uh, let's and do a little. Things, I have so many tequila fry. Good Are you planning on selling those and making them available on the website? Uh, possibly. Possibly. See, part of me, you know, and obviously you run your business how you want to, but I feel like with these endangered fish, like they, it's like you almost got to give them away for free if somebody's willing yeah, to pay well, the shipping. I mean, and to be honest, they're not the most popular fish. No, for sure. Yeah. I mean, they're. Uh, any any good is like. They're kind of a pug. Right, so yeah. I have I have a pug, and they're they're kind of like a pug of the fish world with a with more of a sad endangered story behind them. Like they, they are cute and pretty in their own respect, but they're not like you're never gonna win the masses over like with a golden retriever or like a cardinal tetra. It's like you know a it's I mean? like a a Volkswagen bug. <laughs> like yeah, it's pretty cool, <laughs> but I don't ever want to own one. But they're neat, you know. They, 
Uh, well, and with, yeah, with, you know, buying a car, like, obviously everybody has finite resources, and you can't just go and buy every car that you want, unless you're Jay Leno or somebody like that. Um, and the same thing with tanks. I'm working on it, though. <laughs> well, with, like, aquariums, you know, you have a finite of aquarium space. You know, and you can't yeah. just go and Thunderdome everything, and you can't just, you know, you have to put, at some point, collectoritis has to come in to check, or, you know, you get, uh, you know, people come to your house to stage an intervention with you. Um, so we're talking about Iliadon for, yeah, for Kendens, for Kedins. Yeah. So they're definitely, uh, so you can learn a lot about them on the Gadia working group, which shout out to John Lyons, uh, a lot of information here about them, but no doubt, um, no doubt in trouble in Mexico where they're native to. Yeah. I'm sure. It's another place I want to go collect. Absolutely. I don't know if you heard that that conversation with uh, Dr. John Lyons. He's out of the University of Wisconsin. He's made, what do you say, like 40 or 50 trips to Mexico. Between him and Jose Gonzalez, who's been on the podcast before, too, they're like, you know, if, if we're going to go down to Mexico, and, and John, I talked very much with him about kind of the security and whatnot of going down to Mexico and making sure that you're staying safe. Um, like, I would never try to do a solo thing. I would never try to arrange something solo. But, like, the next time that those two guys, or just one of them, when they're going down there in a group, I absolutely want to be a part of that. Because, you know, they're, they're going to they're, they're gonna know the places that they're going to. They're going to know the locals. They're going to, you know, they're going to have so much of a better sense of the security, but also just going and knowing where to actually go to look for the fish. So, yes, Bob, let's go. I'm down. Let's go. <laughs> That's uh, that's one of the things I want to do more. Uh, well, I wanted to do more this year, but obviously not. But is travel more? Yeah. Well, in in prep for all that, like I really am drawn to South America, Central America, and so you know I'm on like day 100 of my Duolingo streak for learning Spanish, and so every night my son and I we uh, we do you know one one or two Spanish lessons, and so my my whole goal is just to try to beef up my Spanish speaking as much as I possibly can. Like in Peru, I knew enough to just you know, not be completely useless and, and, you know, totally lost. Like in China, dude, that was, that was like very, that was very difficult. Not even being able to say two or three incredibly basic things, but being able to go down to Peru and actually, you know, know, have like a hundred, 200 word vocabulary, super, super helpful. And, you know, just trying to build upon that, knowing that, you know, I want to do these annual trips. I want to take my family. I want to do just so much stuff, maybe do some humanitarian work down there, spend a couple months down there doing whatever to help people out. Uh, but, yes, learning Spanish. Yeah, I need to. I've only been down there once. To it was Mexico? To Mexico, yeah. Okay. Where'd and you was, TJ? Yep. Okay. So, yeah, not even worth talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but, all right, that's another, that's another future uh, collaboration opportunity right there is going down to Mexico and, and seeing these Cadillas and, you know, just all the different species they have. And then you go on the East Coast, um, you know, the Gulf of Mexico, the, off the Atlantic, and you start getting into all the live bearers and whatnot. And, yeah. I want to go down to Ecuador, get some Apistos. Mm. What, which, uh, which Apistos in Ecuador in particular? Oh, geez, now you're going to put you really on the spot uh which one is it that's down there ecuador episto there's i'm pretty sure i could be wrong but i'm pretty sure there's like 12 species down there all right let's see what the old googles tells us oh google doesn't like me right now new epistogramma species from ecuador by the cichlid room ah juan miguel look at that Friend of the podcast. Oh, I don't have Facebook anymore. <laughs> so he lists 
uh, a aguarico. I'm pretty sure there's like has been a dozen species. The new species described from the Lagar Tococho Tococha River in the northeastern Ecuador. Okay, so let's check this guy out. All right. Ooh. Oh, it's one of these guys with like the super fancy uh, finnage. That's an awesome fish. Yep. So Ecuador, where is that going to be in relation to the equator? Sorry. Ecuador. I'm just trying to think of like temperature in my head uh, where Ecuador sits relative to. Uh, it's going to be like mid-70s. Okay. So north of Peru, just kind of, yeah, okay. Just, so just tuck right in there between Peru and, uh, and Colombia. Yeah, but I want to go up to Colombia too. Yes. So I know that you're totally into birding like Jimmy and I, but uh, apparently this region right here in Colombia, uh, this north right here. This I was going to say, I don't think he'll get me in Venezuela anytime soon. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can go to the look for the original uh, collections point of the Endlers. Yeah, of Endlers Live Bears. stay out of there for a while. So right here, north uh, northeastern Colombia. I, I watched a, like a 45-minute YouTube special on. It was produced or paid for by the Colombia Tourism Department. And they featured like an American National Geographic photographer who, who who hooked up with a couple of like you know very popular Colombian birders, uh, bird guides, and they did this like from the beach into some like some forest and just the amount of bird species that you see and how awesome these birds are. It's like oh man, yeah. Well, and flights to well everywhere right now are so cheap. But Bogota, super cheap flights. Lima, super cheap flights. Everywhere down there. Nice. So, yeah, Ecuador, that's just tucked in right there, man. That's awesome. I feel like I should have known that. Oh, well. Well, thank God for uh, for Google Maps. All right, so let's talk. Let's see. Man, we're already hitting an hour, and we spent like half the time talking about the pygmy sunfish. Going hour that's number okay. two. Let's, uh, let's plug, let's plug Steenfot Aquatics here, and then I think we've got plenty to have you back on in in, in a couple months and just, you know, do round two we with Bob. We haven't got to plants yet. We haven't even got to plants yet. Let's not even talk about plants. Let's save, let's save your plant experience, which I know. Oh, sure. Oh, we'll sure. We'll save that for next time. You talk about my breeding, which I have like 15 <laughs> submissions, and I literally have like a thousand plant submissions. <laughs> Uh, but hey, content for next time, my man. Right, Horti- so- Horticulturist of the Year Award right here. Oh, mm-hmm. what what year? What year? I don't know. Does it stay on there? Does it? I don't think so. I don't think there's like a bio section about it's you. It's probably 2016 because look at that. See, if I was, if Roy was running this thing, man, he should have rejected all these submissions with no photos. He just game. Well, the it's system. because one photo has like eight different species in it. Then you should have put that in there eight different times. Nah. You should just use the same photo over and over again if that's the case. And then I would want you to actually have little arrows that you added to say, like, this one right here instead of just a blanket picture. I'd be such a, a hard butt on that. Oh, this is this is G-Sass, man. <laughs> <laughs> Which, technically, I run the CARES program, and I do a terrible job at that. So, you know, yeah, shoulda, coulda. Okay, so, uh, yeah, you've got, you've got quite a few, quite a few entries, 55 of them. It doesn't, it doesn't specifically call out that you were the uh, winner of Horticulturalist of the Year Award. But, yeah, let's put a pin in that, man. Let's talk about that next time you're on. I want to talk about what made you start up steenfotaquatics.com. Well, who doesn't love buying fish? True. Yeah, true. Clearly in this podcast, we short of charging the credit card have bought 16 fish. That's very true. That's very true. <laughs> um, so I started this as just a way to 
kind of supplement my income and at the same time getting out quality rainbow fish. Uh, most all of these rainbow fish are specifically lime bred and we can track the lineage to Gary Lang or Gerald Allen, um, Lori, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but like really known well so uh, Ga- rainbow fish people. Gary Lang from Missouri, um, Allen, what's, what's, what's Allen's first name? Gerald. Gerald Allen. He is, he's in Australia, right? Uh, am I thinking of a different... I believe so. Okay. And then Lori, who's, Lori is from... Yeah, her, she's in California, I believe. California? Okay, cool. But like in the rainbow groups. Gotcha. I've, I've never, I've, like I know her last name, but I've never heard anyone pronounce it. And so I don't even want to... Okay. No, no, no worries. <laughs> what letter does it begin with? S. Lori S. It's like right. S J. I mean, it might, oh, does yeah. it does it look like a fundula pan fund S J O D like E N T. I could be of? wrong, okay. but it's it's like man, I know I don't want to try. To all right, so I, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. So rainbow fish go. So yeah, almost all of these I can tell you exactly where they came from. Um, where they were collected, uh, the praycocks or the the pagai, you can you can you can't find those online, unless you're like specifically looking like aquabit or something. Right. But as far as like a retail stop, so that's why I'm sold out a lot of the times, is because I have to, I have to wait for people to breed these. Like mm. I don't want to be the guy that brings in a ten cent praycocks rainbow, mm-hmm. and. So your your rainbow fish are not going to be coming from a wholesaler, right? Your other fish. Uh, there's. Two or three species on there that comes from wholesalers. Okay. So the Parkinsoni, the Kamaka, that might be, and Threadfin. Okay. But all these other ones, though? These are these are all going to be captive bred. Like, and they're pure strain. They're not, you know, they're not farm bred in Florida, so they're not crossed with anything. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you feel about that. <laughs> Don't don't tell me how you feel about that. <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know what? Honestly, I don't mind it. Yeah. But for people to start off with rainbow fish and to go into like a Petco or PetSmart, um, you know, I see it all the time in the rainbow groups that I'm in on Facebook of what's wrong with my fish? What's wrong with my fish? And mm-hmm. Rainbow fish are one of those fish that they're easy to keep, but they also need clean water. Mm-hmm. So if you miss like two water changes, they're going to start having problems. What's your, um, how'd you get started in rainbow fish? Uh, actually, Dustin's fish tanks. Nice. So when I got back into the hobby, um, eventually, you know, I discovered fish on YouTube, and that was one of the first channels I found. And he had that big, like, two hundred some gallon planted tank with rainbow with Bosmani. Okay. And I was like, that's the coolest fish I've ever seen. It, it the Bosmani is a pretty awesome fish, and what's so nice is you get that wow factor from like a, a cardinal tetra, but you get the size right, mm-hmm. and and I think so many people. Um, coming into the hobby, you know, we have this mentality of bigger's better. And so that's where, you know, probably the, the monster fish and the big cichlids did so well for so long is because bigger's better. But you get this nice, I think, I think Bozmani Rainbow gives you this nice mix of it's a decent sized fish. It's not tiny. It's not a nano fish, but it's not this monster honking fish. You know what I mean? Are you, yeah, you, oh yeah. you kind of following what I'm, yeah. what I'm, I'm trying to describe it? Yeah. And then relatively peaceful with other tank mates. Um, in, oh, and I guess the Madagascar, the Madagascar rainbow fish is not captive bred either. So four of them. Okay. So the reason that I started this was, where am I trying? What am I trying to say here? I want a good quality rainbow fish, and I wanted to get them out there at a cheaper price because I want more people to have rainbow fish. Essentially. Mm-hmm. So, 
am I the cheapest? No, but I'm cheaper than a lot of places selling farm bread. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of one of my goals. And then when I first started, it was this thing of like, I'm going to buy all the fish. And I just kept bringing in all these fish, all these fish. And now I'm transitioning into um, more captive bread to even eventually getting to sell stuff that is only bred by me. Mm. So what is that? What does that operation look like then? Because you know, right now your website, and this is you know, people please bookmark this website. Um, you know, follow Bob on his uh, Steamfought Aquatics YouTube channel, where I'm sure he'll give you way more updates. Um, but I would say, you know, with with pandemic and just kind of everything going on, I, I think that's a reason for a lot of the stuff, you know, not being available and just yeah. you know, stuff stuff just being it's it's a real difficult time. So right like now. like before this happened, like you know, clown killies, peacock gutch, and panagar is always in stock. Mm-hmm. And these are all like. These are all fish that I've gotten enough times with just really good success that that's why they're on my website because I'm very confident these fish do well. Panagars are so cool too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try to breed them next year. Nice. Okay, so what does your operation look like then to to support Steamfought Aquatics? So I have, at first it was as many tanks as I can fit in my fish room. Ten, so I had tens, 20s? Tens and 20s, um, like lengthwise. Like, mm-hmm. just crammed in there. Yep. And uh, now, since I'm going to go back to breeding, and I want to sell fish that I breed, I'm taking out all the 10s and replacing them with 20s and 40s. Mm. Uh, and I want, basically, I'm going to colony breed these. Okay. How many um, How many tanks are you going to be up to? Well, I have about 40 to 50 right now, and I'm hoping to get it down to under 40, closer to 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have two fish rooms. One, the goal is to make it... Two fish rooms. Yes. This guy. <laughs> well, I mean, they're not great yet, but they will be. So one of them, my goal is to be like a show, like for if people want to come over and hang out, like YouTubers come over. Mm-hmm. We have all these like nice planted show tanks. Okay. And then the other fish room is going to be breeding. Okay. So yeah, I'll keep all the adults in like the show mm-hmm. fish room. Are you gonna do? Are you gonna make it easy on yourself and do species specific show tanks so you can just yep. drop a spawning mop, exactly. pull it? There you go. All right. Yep. Yeah. So for those that don't know, um, within the genus, I believe it's how it works. Within the genus, rainbows can crossbreed. Yep. Outside of the genus, they can't crossbreed. So if you put a chillerthena, if you put a group of chillerthena of one species in the same tank as a melatonea of another species, um, you can do the same spawning mop, and you will, you should get two distinct spawns from there assuming they're both using the spawning mop and they're not eating each other's eggs right assuming you have eggs you should get both species without crossbreeding but if you take a melatonia bosmani and a melatonia praecox do the same thing they will crossbreed yeah because they're in the same genus and i'm hoping to do like multiple species not of rainbow fish but like in here i got spawning mops with rainbow fish and maybe i have corridoras mm-hmm. maybe in the other tank i have rainbow fish and apistos mm-hmm. so i want to breed multiple are you concerned about corridors eating rainbow fish eggs? Not at all. Not at all? Okay. No. All right. Because I've actually, I successfully had um, corridors and rainbow fish spawning and breeding in a 75-gallon tank before yeah. mixed. Uh, now, granted, there was heavily planted, heavily carpeted. And that's how uh, I would do it. Okay. Cool. Exactly. And, yeah, I mean, rainbow fish spit out hundreds of eggs. Yes. So are, they, yes. are, are a couple going to get picked off? Sure. So I have, remember in the video, I've got the Chilorthina fasciata, the uh, ungulum, which are really, really awesome fish. So let me know. Let me know if you want some of those, because I think once this next group just kind of grows out, I don't know if I'm going to keep them and still work with them. I think I need to submit for my bat points for them. 
because uh, I've spawned them a couple times now. And um, yeah, so let me know because they came from Gary Lang. I bought them at the GSAS auction. All right. Yeah. All right. I'll definitely take them. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, they, they came from him, but those were the pre-order ones because he brought a couple different juvenile groups uh, for pre-order. And so that's what, that's what I, I also did have species that are not on my website. Ooh. Hold back secrets. Ooh, secret venue like in and out Stuff that, uh, you know, maybe not been in the hobby. That's awesome. So, so okay. So then where does Papua New Guinea Australia trip rank to Ecuador or Mexico? Well, you know, when I hear Gary Lang talk about people getting kidnapped. It's crazy. Um, talk about <laughs> him getting leeches on his eyeballs. He got a leech um, on his eyeball. Do I remember that? When was he that Gary about Lang? It? That might have been, might have been someone else. But he, I mean, he talks about leeches all the time. So, but so, but somewhere along the line, someone got one on his eyeball. Like they looked up because mm-hmm. you know they, they bomb you. I did not know that. Yeah, I got leeches on me in Florida, but I don't remember they were in the water. Yeah, there's some that they'll just hang out on like, leaves and they'll like, <laughs> oh, boo! and so somebody, oh, so no. he looked up and it went boom right oh, in his eye. Corey, Corey is just like dead set on going to Papua New Guinea, and uh, whew. I don't know. So the, the like, I'm not worried about going, but I w- I would be worried for other people. Yeah. So the the with Papua New Guinea, I'm no geopolitical or expert on the country, but from what I know, it's 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 a tough place to go because in the urban areas, you have one type of crime and violence, and you know you're susceptible to this kind of thing happening to you. And then even when you get out of the urban areas and you start going into these villages and these other places, it's a different type of like oh now this could happen to you because they don't like outsiders interfering on their native lands and that kind of stuff. And then in the urban center, it's like oh you could just straight up get kidnapped by these oh, gangs yeah. that are in the cities. And the infrastructures are terrible. Yeah. So it's not like it's not like oh man, you just fly into this main city, you just got to survive the main urban area and then once you get out to the forest, you're okay. Like it's not that's not how Papua New Guinea is. Um yeah, I mean the only way I'd go there if it was like with Gary Lang. How about Australia? They got rainbows. But oh, you know, yeah. but you know what they also have though? Crocodiles. I don't care about crocodiles. Dude. <laughs> like I want to go to Lake Tanganyika. I mean oh, they have them. Oh man. I'm not worried about crocodiles at all. Oh, I want to go to Africa so bad, but the crocodiles, the hippos, the cobras, the water. I want to go to Tanzania, side of Tanganyika. Man, I'm a crash with Frank Sarah or uh, Frank Amir of from Sarah because he's mm. from there. You should you should listen to that episode. That was a great conversation with him. But Frank Amir from Sarah, he grew up. His father owns some some pet stores in in Africa. Was it was it Tanzania? What country? What country is Frank from? But it's one that borders Lake. Jeez, I don't even want to say it. Let me let me Google this. I'm I actually had a, a secret trip trip plan this year that got canceled because of COVID. To uh, Iran, actually. What? Yep. So in Iran, he's from Kenya. He's from Kenya, and he would spend uh, him and his family would yeah. go from like Nairobi. They'd go to Lake Victoria for fun, like as a family thing. I would. Too. How wild is that? Which for them, it's like, oh, that's normal. That would be like you going to your Great Lakes. Which I've never done, but uh, I've never for, done either. Yeah, for uh, well, that yeah, that's the thing. We're like, you know, if you talk to somebody from Africa and you're like, you've never been to your Rift Lakes, and it's like, well, have you ever been to your Great Lakes? Touche, touche, my friend. <laughs> well, look at, I mean, there's so many lakes right there. You just go yeah. to Tanzania and travel around. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, it's uh, a lot of things can eat you there. And, you know, the flights, you know, I think even when the flights were good, it's, you, you know, you're making like what, three connecting flights, three or four connecting flights. Oh, yeah. And, it's it's long yeah. trip. It's and that's where, and, and that's what I've really appreciated about, you know, doing Central and South America. If I just kind of felt like, okay, if I'm going to, if I'm going to go deep and specialize in like travel, like, don't get me wrong, I want to go to Africa. But if I'm going to make consistent trips, you know, being able to go to uh, Peru or Brazil or, you know, Colombia, where for the most part they speak either Spanish or Portuguese, which has a lot of similarities with Spanish, you know, I feel like I could do decently well there. And it's a much, much, much shorter flight. Um, that all being said, man, I'd love to go to Africa. 100%. Madagascar. Madagascar would be super cool, too. Bring back a lemur. I've been dreaming about Madagascar since since the since the cartoon. No, since I was like ten. <laughs> what made uh, what made Madagascar so intriguing to you? The reptiles. Mm. See, that'd be like the third episode we do. Just have you. Uh, we could do because uh, uh, I like I did with Rat Cross. We had the uh, the Dendrobates, the Dart Frog uh, mm-hmm. podcast, where like half the content was about Dart Frogs. But um, you know, having you talk about some of your other experiences with reptiles, because I mean, I'm sure that there's enough people that, that listen to this. That, that industry have a has reptile. changed so much since the '90s; it's ridiculous. Yeah. As long as we stop bringing over snakes that are large enough to kill people, <laughs> I'm okay with the uh, what with about, the reptile hobby. I mean, you can have like a three foot copperhead kill people. So yeah, but there's you know there's there, there's the point. You just don't like aspect. being swallowed by one. I don't <laughs> like the idea of the yeah yeah of being swallowed. And they've shown the charts of like what it takes. So Florida, the Everglades. And yet you're gonna go to s- South America. Scientifically, they say you know that the Everglades are just overrun with these invasive uh, what are they the reticulated pythons. Mm-hmm. And it takes like they've shown the food mammal pyramid of what it takes to get one of these pythons up to like female 20 foot long full of eggs 30. it takes like a zoo it takes like every rabbit you know ever given out at easter to get one of these <laughs> reptiles up to that size and it's incredible it's a lot of dogs and cats it's, man oh boy all right bob steen fought uh where can people uh, follow you at if they're like hey man i like the sound of this guy i like the cut of his jib how can i how can i follow bob steen fought or learn more about him i am by far the most active on youtube Okay, and that would be the Steen Fought Aquatics YouTube channel, and we'll yep. have a we'll have a link to that in weekly the, uh, live stream every Monday. Weekly live stream. So if you if you like the sound of Bob and you want to interact live with him via like chat, the cut of my jib, <laughs> the cut of your jib, man, I love that term. <laughs> I right. use it now, and people are like, "What does that mean?" You use like cut of your th- jib too? Yeah, they think it's offensive. They're oh, like, I say that every once in a while. God. Cut of your jib, nice. And they're like, "What, is, what does that mean?" I try to bring back Jonesin. Jonesin, just Jonesin for some Gatorade or Jonesin for the. Uh, what are you drinking there? Kirkland vitamin Dragon water? fruit. Jones and friends some dragon fruit. <laughs> what I'm jonesing for are some pygmy oaky finoki. Oaky finoki uh, pygmy sunfish. It's just, a, it's just a word, man. Dude, I'm so excited about That's that. That's a fun fish. word to say. I think that might just be Bob Steenfot this episode on the oaky finoki sunfish, pygmy sunfish. So good. All right, Bob, man, this has been fantastic. Uh, definitely looking forward to round two and three of uh, having you on the podcast, man. Awesome. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for having me.